now with the red wing line, right wing, to a wide open Keith, left circle, fires, he scores! There's a shot by Nylander, he scores! Behind the net to Tate, he shoots and scores! Doubling back, Duncan Keith, still got the jump, to a wide open Keith, left circle, fires, he scores! It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. There goes the goaltender, Franzrep. Oh, and he shouldn't have left the net. David Camp with a loose puck. Fires it down toward the empty net. He scores! Red wing line on the right wing. Bats it down behind the net. Bounces out the cave. He shoots and scores! Chris Bowden and Scott King break down the latest storylines surrounding your favorite Chicago hockey team. Jonathan Cave into the top shelf. Now, here they are. Chris Bowden and Scott King. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a fresh Blackhawks crazy podcast, uh, fresh from a Blackhawks victory, their first one of the year. We're sitting across the hallway from the Blackhawks locker room after Monday night's 3-1 victory over the Edmonton Oilers. And even bigger news than the Blackhawks breaking into the win column, Scott. We have a sponsor. We have a sponsor. Hit the hallelujah music. But Blackhawks crazy podcast is sponsored by FanList. FanList is the best platform for season ticket holders to sell their tickets. Are you a Blackhawks season ticket holder who sells multiple games? Get over to FanList.com slash BlackhawksCrazy. Spelled FanList. That's F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com. F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com. FanList partners with multiple ticket marketplaces and lists tickets for sale across all marketplaces all at once. Sites like StubHub. Vivid Seats, SeatGeek, GameTime, and many more. And they do all the work. Multiple marketplaces will increase your ticket exposure, causing tickets to sell faster and for higher prices. Plus, FanList is free to use. Registration and listing tickets are free. When tickets sell, FanList charges the industry standard 15% of the final sale price. It's the same rate that all those major marketplaces charge. There are no hidden costs or added fees to use FanList. It's the best way for you as a season t- ticket holder to sell your tickets. So go to FanList.com slash crazy to receive a $20 bonus on your first sale. F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com slash crazy. FanList, thank you. For jumping aboard. Thank you, and, fanless. And thank the, thank the Blackhawks for allowing us to talk about something other than <laughs> what had been an 0-2-1 start and a lot of disappointment. Yes, Saturday's 3-2 overtime loss was a baby step in the right direction. But even though they go to their fourth game this early in the season, the way the rest of the division, some of these other teams in the West are playing, you cannot take baby steps so this was important, and I think it adds a little bit of extra swagger since the Blackhawks end up defeating what had been an unbeaten team in NHL historic fashion, trailing in every one of their first five games to come back and win in beating the Edmonton Oilers on Monday night. Yeah, it seems like they just played better Monday night, but there's actually, and you heard Calton talk about it in post game, there's a lot of ingredients to this game. A lot of things the team did right, as opposed to the other games where they lost. And a lot of it happened in the second period where they had to be better, because that's where teams started to get momentum when playing the Hawks in the second. And as Calton often pointed out, that's not something good teams allow, is a bad second period. Yeah, and when we hear from Jeremy Calton a little bit later, we'll, we'll, we'll hit back on that point of, of the second period problems, because, you know, you go back to Prague, and every game since then, prior to Monday night, and it had been a real issue. But another decision that Jeremy Carlton made, and I think raised some eyebrows at the morning skate, we didn't see Robin Leonard in the starter's blue paint. He instead decided to go back to Corey Crawford, opens himself up to some criticism because 
Leonard was really stout in that game against the Winnipeg Jets, ended up helping them get a point, whereas Corey, you know, he, he may have had one or two in Prague that he would have wanted back. I think the game against San Jose was just utter chaos in front of the net. There wasn't a whole lot that he could do on any of those situations and some defensive deficiencies. But even though Leonard had the strong outing on Saturday, he decides to go back to Corey. And if you're looking for some kind of blueprint, at least early in the season here, I don't know if you can read any particular tea leaves other than he wants to keep both guys sharp. And if people were upset that Corey was in net for Monday, you know, maybe when we show up for morning skate on Friday and see Robin Leonard in the net, they might be just as upset. But it ended up working out on Monday night. I was skeptical because I thought with this situation where you have two guys who can be a very good number one goalie, that when one guy has a good game where he makes 30 saves of 33 and one of those is is kind of early on in overtime and he had a great game, you you would go with Leonard because you, you're going to ride the hot guy in this goalie tandem situation. Playing Crawford was a, a big gamble, I think, for the team and for Crawford's confidence and, and kind of the uh, all the moving components of that relationship in goalie tandem, but it paid off. You get Corey's best start of the season, you know, out of just three. But it's big for the team's confidence. It's big for his moving forward. And now Leonard, when he gets to that back, is going to have to throw together another great performance. Yeah, and it was only really unfortunate that Corey didn't get his, his shutout in the late yeah. going as they had that late power play goal. But he came up with three huge saves in the first period. And you're wondering, you know, if he's going to be as sharp after sitting out the last game. But he certainly answered the bell because... You know, McDavid and Drysaddle both had a couple of prime opportunities where it was pretty much just one-on-one between Corey Crawford and those particular Oilers superstars, and he was able to come up with some big stops. He ends up making 27 in all the 28 shots that he faced, and he was named the number one star. Let's hear from Crawford afterwards. Corey, finally getting a win. What do you think was the success? Um... I just, I think we're we're doing everything, uh, everything good tonight. Um, we didn't uh, give up a whole lot. Um, cleared the front of the net. You know, I was able to see uh, pretty much everything tonight. Um, you know, it was uh, a key goal by Nylander. Uh I won nothing, and it's just nice to get that first one and uh, try and build off that. I'm sure you guys are happy to get the win, but are you also happy that the performance was what you guys wanted it to be also? Yeah, we played uh, played really well. Um, I think everyone was going. Um, you know, guys were coming back to help out defensively, and uh, I mean, just a, a good team effort. Um, you know, the PK was strong. Even though we gave up that one, it was uh, strong early in the game, and um, I don't know. It's just uh, it's nice to win the first one. Savor it because you were would beat a hot team too tonight. What's that? You know, to beat a hot team like Edmonton tonight. Yeah, yeah. I they're they're playing good hockey, um, but uh, I think it's more uh, more what we're doing. But it, it's uh, it's a nice challenge for sure if someone's coming in with uh, undefeated or on a streak. So um, yeah, but. Uh, we're just uh, happy to, to get that one. Are you feeling differently uh, mentally or physically than the other starts this season? Um, I don't know. Uh, I saw the puck a little bit more than the last game. Uh, but, um, 
you know they were throwing a lot of lot to the net and just crashing the net. A uh, little, little bit of, a little bit different type of play from from their team. Uh, more rush, more more speed stuff. Have you seen the D kind of tighten up the last couple of games? What have they been doing differently? I guess. Uh, I mean, it's everyone on the ice that that's uh, committed to coming back and helping out. Um, you know, our D are playing well, but. You need help. You need back pressure. You need guys coming back to be able to step up and and uh, give it, uh, make it a make it a hard time on the other team to come in the zone. Towards encouraging that you guys didn't have a letdown in the second. Jeremy said the first three games there was a drop off, but tonight no drop off at all. I mean, every game's different. Uh, you know, there might be streaks where the first period isn't as great, or I mean, it's. It's really hard to, to say. Uh, our second period was, was good tonight. Um, but we also played well in all three periods. Um, you know, we didn't really we didn't really uh, have uh, too much pressure on us. Uh, you know, in a period where we're, we're in our zone for a while and they're getting chance after chance. Uh, you know, that just didn't really happen tonight. Uh, you know, if they got one, it was... Uh, it was out pretty quickly, or we kept them to the outside, I, I thought. Corey, Connor McDavid is one of the more tougher players to defend in the NHL. How did you feel about the defense kind of containing him tonight? Yeah, he's he's uh, one of the fastest players. Uh, he gets a lot of stuff off the rush um, just with his speed. He, he can beat guys. Uh, I mean, he had a couple... Uh, half chances there uh, on the wing. I think it's more just trying to keep him to the outside. Uh, you know, he's so fast that uh, you, you can't really have a gap on him. You gotta, you gotta be uh, pretty respectful of how quick he is. The Crawford gets the job done. The other point I wanted to make about that was the fact that with Leonard's performance and with this team sitting at zero victories through three games and Leonard was so sharp the other night, I thought it might add to the urgency of, of having Colleton decide to go back to Leonard again. But for any of you who may have a Blackhawks goalie crystal ball here in the early going, I'm, I think it's going to stay cloudy for a little bit in terms of trying to figure out which way Jeremy goes. I think there will be a point in the season where he does, in fact, go to the hotter hand. And it might be sooner rather than later, but at least in the early going, it may be mapped out a bit, and he won't reveal it until game day. So the other... Uh, really thing to take note of here is what Jeremy has done in kind of formulating a a defensive shutdown line and you know there may have been some Blackhawks observers fans who had their doubts whether David Kampf and Brandon Saad and an NHL rookie and Dominic Kubelik could do exactly that but so far that line has answered the bell lived up to the billing that Jeremy is building for them and Saturday night was the first night that he put Duncan Keith with Connor Murphy. And I think, you know, Duncan sometimes had to preoccupy himself with making sure Eric Gustafson was doing the right things on the ice. But now you have two defensive-minded guys, and Duncan can still bring an element to an offensive game to the blue line as well. But I think that pairing has the potential to be their best uh, shutdown pairing, you know, if not perhaps a Calvin DeHaan working its way into the mix. And he had another solid game on Monday. But, man... 
that forward line and that defensive pairing was solid in, in going up against McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. Yeah, Calton started them out on the ice uh, against Mc, the McDavid line. You have McDa- McDavid and Dreisaitl. McDavid, first in the league in points, heading into Chicago with 12. Uh, Five-game point streak, every one of their games at a point. Same Dreisaitl, 11 points uh, in a five-game point streak. And so here's this stat for the uh, the Camp Sad Kubalik line. They're on the uh, they're on the ice against McDavid and company for 4:57 in the first period. Camp's line had a five to one advantage in shot attempts mm-hmm. and four to one in shots on goal. So talk about how effective that is uh, as a shutdown line. But also we've seen some great offensive opportunities from those guys. Saad, I think you know him alone has been one of the most noticeable players for me all season long, and I think he's really come on. These last two games, and I'll I'll, t- I'll take it to for even further. Yeah, he has been the Blackhawks' best player so far here through four games, especially these three at home. The job he's doing on the penalty kill, getting that shorthanded goal, he's creating other chances for himself with the help of some of those line mates, of course. But his burst, his speed, his north south game has really been noticeable. You know, he, he clanked one off the crossbar, the post on Monday night as well. So. Um, in a way, Brandon's been snake bitten by that the last couple of years. But man, generating those opportunities is something that's becoming real consistent in Saad's game. And then there's the Keith Murphy pairing that we mentioned a, a moment ago. And, um, you know, a, along with Calvin DeHaan, who's been very solid the first couple of games, I think defensively, by and large, it's quite clear those are, those are your three best defensive defensemen. And Murphy had himself a workhorse game. We visited him on the post game show afterwards playing 23 and a half minutes, I believe, against that line with McDavid and Drysaddle. Those two combined for five shots uh, total in the game. And let's hear from Connor Murphy afterwards. Uh, we have to be able to win those uh, low-scoring games. And um, when it comes down to playing against good teams, too, you got to be able to uh, keep it low-scoring and, and play simple. Well, wasn't so much better in the second period. Was it just keeping the shift sword or doing something safer with the puck? Uh, we've talked about, actually, that was the message today from the coaches about how much better we need to be in the second. And uh, we showed clips of uh, examples of when we'd done that in the past and what it takes. And um, I think, yeah, we were just better at uh, staying on our toes and we drew some penalties and um, and got on, their, on a four-check quick and, and kept their goalie from being able to uh, make plays and, and then be able to come up ice. Some, some big hits from you and Shaw tonight. What can that do to kind of open things up in the game? It's fun. Uh, it's fun to watch Shazi throw the big ones and then and then uh, when you get your chances as a D-man to, to hit a bit. I mean, physicality part of the game. They have a, some big boys in their team that do it. So uh, I think it's just uh, part of the game, kind of like uh, um, making a good pass or having a good scoring chance. It just helps your momentum a bit. This team hasn't been that physical the last couple of years. Does batting him be contagious for you guys? Because it seems like it is. I think so, yeah. I think we know... Uh, guys have their strengths and we've added players that are more physical and uh and you kind of you do have to just play your game and each individual guy some guys aren't going to do it as much and know that what their role is to contribute to the team and uh if you can can use your body i think that's going to help are you surprised uh when i did no i'm not surprised that's fine it, it's a physical game so um i think it's uh it's fine it was frustrating to see it be even up on that scrum at the end um off of just kind of a simple hit uh but i mean that's the way the refs keep it um keep things evened out and um keep the the stuff from escalating too much what do you think about the camp flying against McDavid and those guys? Yeah, yeah, they're great. I think uh, Camp is such a strong guy, and you have Sauter and Kubalik, and 
and they're guys that are just so heavy on their sticks and on the puck and um, anytime there's a bit of a, a 50-50 play they're guys that get their body into it and use it to, sh- to shield it. You even saw just at the end with the open net the way Sauter can just barrel through guys and keep possession and uses that defensively and um, I think that that definitely helps when you're playing against guys that are trying to play open and, uh, and make a lot of the kind of fancy plays and passes. And finally the last big narrative going into this contest was the Blackhawks have answered the bell out of the gate by and large in all three previous games but then came the second period and heading into this game on Monday night second period shot attempts Blackhawks 27 opponents 62 and so the numbers even support the eye test of what everyone saw as the ice just started tilting. The Blackhawks had puck management issues, getting out of their own zone, and it was constant pressure uh, for the Blackhawks and an inability to get any kind of rhythm going through the neutral zone and providing any kind of sustained pressure. They talked about it just as the media and fans were talking about it. They knew it was an issue amongst themselves, and the players admitted it was a topic of conversation, and it ended up being a real dominant uh, second period of play for the Blackhawks. They truly answered it with no score, and then getting that first goal of the game from Patrick Kane four minutes and 11 seconds into the second, they still were able to sustain that. Shot attempts in the second period on Monday night, 32-7. to Those are attempts, not shots on goal. Shots on goal were 17-6. to Attempts were 32-7. to So that's real indicative of them really taking the bull by the horns and and being assertive. And as Patrick Kane said before the game, they need to be more assertive and believe rather than just hope that they could sustain whatever the momentum that they had to, to start games in the first period. And it was in the second one, Saad hit the pipe too, so it could have been an even more glorious second period. And you had uh, Nylander giveaway leads to an almost goal yeah. for, the Oilander, for the Oilers, but he was able to uh, redeem himself. Yeah, yeah. and that, for him. we were wondering how much more Alex Nylander was going to be on the ice because I think he had three shifts in the first period that – Turnover that led to the McDavid chance, I think, was only his second shift of the second period. Um, he ended up playing a team low nine shifts on the night, a team low eight minutes and 20 seconds. And he's still able to come up with what turns into the game winning goal on a real bad play by Mike Smith, who was otherwise very good throughout the night. As Nylander found a way to sneak that in five hole. If he is not going to play significant minutes, you wonder how long his shelf life is going to be up here, but then he ends up scoring the goal right there. But back to uh, what the coach thought of this performance, including at least for one night, solving the second period issues. Here's Jeremy Colleton afterwards. Okay, so um, pretty pleased with the effort. I thought we almost 60. Um, second period, exactly what we're looking for. I thought we really turned the game. I thought we were good in the first. Uh, it was um, the ch- Their top line poses a challenge, and I thought we we handled it quite well, um, but really pleased with how we, we buckled down in, in that second period and, and did some of the things we've been talking about, and uh, also pleased that we closed out the game. I thought, um, you know, unfortunate to get in that six-on-four situation because I think we were well on our way to, to closing it out uneventfully. And then it made it uh, a little bit. You're at the mercy of a bounce after the, after it becomes uh, a one goal game. But uh, very very happy for the guys to be rewarded for. Uh, they, they played hard, played hard, competed hard, and I thought they made a lot of team decisions tonight. And that's what we need more of. I'm sure that you're happy with the result, but are they, is it added that you like the, the overall performance too? Yeah, because it's repeatable. It's uh, 
we're trying to build something that we can sustain night in and night out and against good opponents. And, um, you know, it's early in the year, certainly, but they're a team that's had a lot of success, and we thought we, we closed down the game quite well. And uh, now it's it's up to us to find a way to to bring that type of performance over and over again, and uh, we can have some success. Why do you think the, the camp uh, side of league line has been so effective, and, and what did you think of them tonight? Yeah, we uh, you guys know I've liked that line uh, since since the uh, festival game, and uh, they just they're all got real big motors, big engine. They work and uh, compete, and they all bring a little bit different um, ingredient like obviously you know sod is an accomplished uh, proven performer uh, he takes the puck in the net he's a horse there he's really hard to get the puck off he transports it from d zone to the offensive zone and uh, he can make those plays i think campy is a he's a workhorse he, he takes a lot of responsibility defensively again can transport the puck from one end to the other um, and then you know you get Kubi's, he's got a bomb. But I've been very impressed with this play away from the puck. That's been a surprise for me. And so now he can play on that line because he does so many responsible things. He wins a lot of races. He's a great four checker. So, um, you know, pleased, pleased with the line. What's been so much different about the second period tonight than the past three games? Well, we did a lot of winning things. Like we were clean with the puck. I thought our support. Uh, we really found a way to get available. Uh, we were heavy on the puck, you know. So a lot of 50-50 situations where we're under pressure. Um, we weren't. We didn't allow ourselves to get stripped. We just kept moving it ahead. We won lines. We got it deep. We changed in the offensive zone multiple times. Uh, we had great, great forecheck pressure. We had great back pressure, and you know, any all these things are just little ingredients. But when you do them. Um, shift in and shift out you really build you build momentum and uh, we put pressure on them throughout the period and you don't always get rewarded right away but typically you do and and it wears them down for the rest of the game too so um, that's something we haven't done and uh, again it's a big part of the league is how you play in the second period. Nylander only had five shifts in the first two periods on the puck strip scoring opportunity the other way did you say anything to him in the intermission and what did you like about Uh, just talked to him a little bit on the bench. Like I actually thought his first shifts of the game were quite good. He's a bit of a victim of circumstance with the special teams. Like we, both directions, so there were penalties, and uh, you know he's not on either one special team wise. But I think he he had some good shifts early on. He had the one shift of the second period where he made a couple um, mistakes. But he's that's part of what he's got to go through to learn how to be consistent at this level. And I thought uh, really happy for him. He gave us some good shifts in the third. And that was uh, McDavid was and Dreisaitl were playing the whole period. So you need guys to take that matchup every once in a while, and, and that line ended up scoring. So um, happy for him. Coach, happy with the overall play, but you got to be pleased with the D-zone coverage today. Yeah, we were, we were good. Uh, I think that team... They're a very good rush team, so that was a lot of the focus for us, making sure we had numbers back, trying to slow slow down their speed and, and giving our D a chance to defend uh, the rush. But, uh, you know, the times when we got in trouble with the puck where we turned it over, we were exposed, and I thought we handled that really well. And that's, that's part of where we got to get to. So, um, yeah, we're happy with that.
Understood that you guys showed videos of them in second periods, what you've done well before. Is that yep. something you do often where you kind of micromanage something? Here's a concern. Yeah, I think done it with kind of every team I've had is talk about the second period and what we're looking for and how the total, how each shift affects the total picture. And, um, you know, I thought we made some strides last year. We did something similar, and I think as the year went on, we got better. It's just it's such a weapon for for your team if you can kill a game if you have the advantage and you can also climb back in if maybe you've had a tough first so um, hopefully we can hold on to that. There's some noticeable hits tonight. Is that something that can make you guys hard to play against? Yeah, we you know getting back to the summer we we wanted to add that element uh, you know Shaw and and Smitty and um, it's even on the back end you know Dehan play can play a physical game it, it's. Uh, both to give our team energy, but also to keep the other team honest. Like we're gonna, we're not just gonna swing away. We're not just gonna come in there and throw a stick into the pile and hope for the best. We're gonna go through you, and um, we're not looking to play dirty. We're not looking to take penalties, but you put pressure on the other team and maybe force them to make that play a half second earlier, and, and it can help us. Slapshot questions. Tweet your questions to the guys at Boda Tweets and at Scott King Media for your questions to be read on the podcast. Questions? Yes, we have questions. And you folks delivered on Twitter on the hashtag Slapshot. So we'll take a handful of those that you shot our way during the course of the game. So let's uh, get right to it, Scott. And um, Blue Star Boy 709 um, is one of the handles that we'll call him. But uh, one of the questions that he had... Is Camp McDavid's kryptonite? Well, let's slow our roll a little bit, but at least for one night it was. Um, McDavid's incredible. Once he gets that first or second step on a guy, it's like he is shot out of a cannon. But at least for one night, if there are bragging rights to be had, Camp and his line mates, Kubalik and, and Saad, certainly, certainly did the job. Who knows what it's going to be like when they face each other up in Edmonton when the Oilers have the last change. But uh, I think the answer is yes, at least for one night, and we'll see how long this lasts. Bold question from a bold Twitter handle. I like it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, I think they obviously played really well tonight. We'll see what the future holds. But not so much in being McDavid's kryptonite, but I, I think – that line and, and the personnel on that line, even if they get switched around, has, has, has found kind of uh, a, a good purpose and that they can be shut down players in a, in a unit together, and they, and they still got that upside on their offensive game as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes once the Blackhawks play the Oilers up in Edmonton. But at least for the here and now, through one game of evidence, uh, we can say yes. It's a temporary yes, but it's a yes. Going Nowhere tweeted us, um, and it's an Oilers question. He was just wondering what Tippett was thinking because it's an October game. They're already 5-0. and He plays Dreisaitl 27 minutes and McDavid 26 and a half minutes. Um, so uh, what, what is Dave Tippett thinking? But let's, let's be honest here. Dave Tippett has this team off to a 5-0 and start. He was trying to keep the mojo going. I didn't notice... Any of the other couple of lines, you know, James Neal's on that second line with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they created a little bit. But other than that, he's going to, you know, go to the party with the guys who brought them and, and trying to get off to a 6-0 uh, a, uh, and start with the game relatively close and, you know, 
the danger that those skaters provide. I don't know if I can necessarily blame them. I don't know what the Oilers' schedule is. I believe they're going back home after this New York swing and then hitting Chicago. They're on their way home and how many days they have off. But uh, you know, th- those are young guys, and if those are your most dangerous players, especially when the Blackhawks gave them three power play situations on top of that, I don't know if I could uh, blame him too much. Uh, if it goes over the course of a whole season, then you might be scratching your head. Yeah, and see, really anything wrong with that kind of personnel uh, decision there? I, th- I think just you know, for for once overall, the Hawks dictated the momentum, and they, and they were able to do it against a very good team. And look, all the you know, you saw when Hawks were streaking before too. Teams that are streaking and red hot, they're just just naturally, whether it's uh, a mental release or physical release, they're not going to play at their best, and they're going to lose a game. Mm-hmm. So that that could have been what happened as well. But but don't take anything away from the Blackhawks; they played a very strong and full sixty minutes tonight. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and James Neal was the other guy who ends up scoring his sixth power play goal already. Eight goals surpasses his total from last year. He's the guy who ruins Corey Crawford's shutout. Our last question comes from our buddy Katrina. Uh, this is the same question she had on our Ask Troy segment in our second intermission a couple of nights ago. She wanted uh, the two of us to take a crack of it. Her question was, are there any teams in the respective divisions through what is now almost two weeks of regular season play who have kind of distinguished themselves? You know, and I, I'm, I think the slam dunk pick in the Atlantic was Tampa Bay. They've been kind of on a roller coaster in the early going. Boston has certainly put its foot down. I'm not sure the sustainability of Buffalo, which improved to 5 0 1 on Monday, but Boston improves to 5 1 after opening with a real strong West, West Coast trip. Uh, their only loss was to Colorado. That brings us to the Central, and I have been bought in on Colorado being the team to beat in that division, and they are off to a 5 0 start now after winning in Washington on Monday. So they're sitting up top. I think there's sustainability there. I was one of those who kind of thought Carolina was going to slip this year in the Metro. Well, shows you how much I know because they are riding high. Um, five and one, as we record here on Monday night, they, they did start five and zero oh before Columbus beat them. I was sold on Washington. Give credit to Pittsburgh for all the injuries that they've had. They've rebounded nicely, and they're still 4-2 and two and hanging in there. And I'm shocked New Jersey has been this bad after all the big moves that they made. They're sitting there in the in the cellar as well. And as far as the Pacific goes, I'm not sure of Edmonton's sustainability, although the early returns are certainly impressive. Uh, and whether Anaheim can keep rolling the way they have, but their defense and John Gibson have been locked down. I'm still a believer that Vegas is the best team in that division, especially with you know, San Jose, I don't think Patrick Marlowe is necessarily going to carry them to the heights that they had last year. And Calgary seems to be scuffling. Some of those goals that David Riddick let in uh, over the weekend in that game, I believe it was against Vegas, I think there were three five-hole goals for David Riddick. So that question's certainly going to be raised throughout the season. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on anyone uh, right now who has looked good, who is, who's going to sustain all the way through. I mostly agree. You know, I thought going into the season, Vegas would be the team to beat in the Pacific. Uh, Colorado's on fire. I see them sustaining that. I see them being a team to beat all year with the moves they made and the way they're playing. Carolina, they they look really good and dangerous right now. I can kind of see that fizzling out a little bit. I, I think Washington might climb up there again. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think Boston, the Atlantic, is going to be the team to beat. I, like you kind of pointed out, Buffalo, they're not going to be able to sustain that. So, do not save. Do not save, though. So, there's your answer, Katrina, for now. Don't save it, whatever you do. Um, I thought a real emotional moment tonight at the United Center was when the Blackhawks did their video tributes to Brandon Manning and Thomas Yurko. Did you get as choked up as I did during those scoreboard tributes? I might have been choked up on a churro and not so much emotions. (laughs) 
Yeah, they did the whole Mexican uh, Day of the Dead celebration in the atrium before this, and and it followed through with what would a, what would a Blackhawks crazy podcast be? Presented by FanList.com. Um, without some food talk about the second intermission. I hope uh, our buddies at FanList enjoy food as much as we do. Uh, I don't know what it was. What would you guys call that? Like a uh, like a little burrito with cheese on it? Enchilada. Our, our producer, Curtis, is informing me it's an enchilada. That's why he's here. And there were churros? Uh, there was like a co- churros, a churros and they weren't too big, so you didn't feel too gluttonous. My daughter loves churros. I had my wife tell her I was eating one. Um, just a nice, just a nice regular churro. Kind you get at Sox Park. I also got a chance while you were doing, oh, no, this was the first intermission. So first intermission, um, when we're not usually eating during that, um, we had uh, one of the Blackhawks promotions people come to the booth and show John and Troy their bobblehead that will be given out oh. on Sunday. You know, for, forget the fact that it's the Washington Capitals and Alex Ovechkin coming to town. It's John and Troy bobblehead night, and I got to look at the bobblehead. And they did a great job on the bobblehead in terms of the how the the the, the caricature of uh, their look. Sometimes, sometimes you look at some of these bobbleheads, it's like, wait, who is that? But they did a, they did a great job with John and Troy, and and. Uh, they had some pictures taken with it. Uh, I did not take one. You know, the suspense is going to have to remain until Sunday. But uh, I think I think uh, the folks at Magellan and the Blackhawks did a bang up job on the likeness. You'll see it on Sunday. It's a big deal to be immortalized in bobblehead form. I mean, Brian Hedger, who used to write for NHL.com before I did, pointed out. It was actually when I was doing a, a story on bobbleheads. Pointed out to one of the players. I, I, it was sharp. I was asking uh, questions about. He it, it, Hedger goes, you know, there's always with these bobbleheads. The Hawks have there's always one feature that they get to, to stand out, so you know which player it is. So were they were they generous with Troy's hair? How how did they approach that? Um, they had the right color of what <laughs> what Troy's hair is. But I, I, I'm just I was looking at the facial features and and it, yeah. it's really close. For for a guy who has to look at them a lot, um, you know, most people get to listen. I have to look at them a lot, and it's not a bad thing, but I think they nailed on it. So, our next podcast is coming your way Monday morning. We can say it's following the game against the Washington Capitals. Two more games after this one to see where the Blackhawks stand. But really, it's the game after the John and Troy bobbleheads are passed out. So. Let's let's make that clear. That's in the headline and on the iTunes description. That's the that's the main thing. And um, if any of you should not have a picture of it, I'm sure we'll post a picture with the podcast of the John and Troy bobblehead, just so everyone is well aware of uh, how good of a likeness it is. Time to thank uh, you for listening to uh, a fresh edition. It is not a post-practice uh, or a, a San Jose Sharks practice edition oh, with Patrick Marlowe before he regained stardom against the Blackhawks. I just kept looking at Thornton's beard. It's like I couldn't even think. So we're happy to uh, be doing this again after a game. We will again. We'll have a fresh one for you coming up on Monday morning after the Capitals game. Thanks to you for listening once again. Thanks to you for subscribing. Thanks to Curtis Koch for producing. Thanks to FanList.com for joining us. We're really excited about that, and we're excited about coming to you again after Sunday night's game with the Fresh Blackhawks Crazy Podcast Monday morning. Have a good rest of the week, everyone. How about that? He's won it. The Hawks win the Stanley Cup. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend. Subscribe and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter at Bowden Tweets and at Scott King Media. That was great!